welcome to the Oslo Raw podcast. I am Tile Refsum and today I have the pleasure of chatting with Ali Bogard. She's a leading yoga and meditation teacher. She has worked in the wellness world for over 17 years. She's leading meditation classes, retreats, immersions and teacher trainings. And today we are talking about quieting the mind and opening the heart, which is um, quite difficult, but it's not that complicated. And she also shares a beautiful gift with us, a 40 days course of practical insights and exercises to anchor yourself in the present moment. So you can click on the show note and there's a link there to uh, go into this amazing course. I'm going to do it. I'm totally going to do it. And I hope you enjoyed this episode, this chat with me and Ali. And um, yeah, lean back, enjoy, drink some hot chocolate, maybe eat some cake and enjoy. So in a time where we are so bussing, how do we quiet the mind? So I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to start first with the puzzle of it, that a um, an attempt to quiet the mind won't work and an attempt to still the mind won't work. So first and foremost, when we give people the permission to know that the heart's nature is to beat, the wind's nature is to blow, the tree's nature is to grow, the mind's nature is to interpret and move and rehash the past and understand the self and compare itself to others and prepare for the future. And so first and foremost, before we quiet or still the mind is to acknowledge that its nature is to move and we can create um, states and and practices and levels of awareness that let it also have a nature that is more still, more contemplative and quieter. But to quiet the mind, usually one will start to create a war against the mind. So the loud mind will be what's wrong with them. The busyness of the mind will be the thing that's against them. And so before we even learn how to quiet or still the mind, we wanna honor that the nature of it is to move We don't want to actively try to quiet it. That's like trying to hold water in our hands. It's going to just get slippery. And so when people are really starting to understand that their mind is something that is both out of their control, it's filled with old memories and subconscious thoughts. And you see a billboard billboard and you just have to read it. It's filled with things out of the, out of control, but it's also filled with a quality of a place that we definitely can control and we can work with and we can befriend and we can start to understand and question. But if somebody goes to just quiet the mind, often I find that becomes pretty aggressive. Like the, the, the loud, busy mind is what's wrong with them. And then, you know, that creates more tension. And, and what we'll often say in looking at the mind or building the self is it never works to judge judgment You know, if ever you're judging yourself for judging yourself or shaming shame or trying to quiet the mind with a busy mind, it doesn't work. And so what we almost want to do is first and foremost, get into to, to, to a coherent understanding that the nature of the mind is to move. I don't want to quiet it. I want to watch it. I want to question it 
not in a way that's interrogative, but it's curious. And then I also want to understand that when I'm starting to question the mind, is that true? Is that what I need? Is that how I feel? Then as soon as that starts to happen, like I can watch the mind. Wow. Look at that thought. Look at that fear. Wow. As soon as I question it, is that true? Is that what I want? Then what that opens up for people is just this third door that says, well, well, who's questioning it? Well, who's watching it? So we don't try to stop or quiet the mind. We start to open up these doorways where we realize there's other selves inside of the self. There's other things watching the mind, questioning it, wondering about it, that we can go start to befriend or accompany. And it's in that place that the mind starts to become more of an ally and a friend rather than um, an enemy or, or something that's too wild that we fear. Because, you know, like humans, the way we've developed, we've become so domesticated, we're terrified of wild. And so when wild emotions come in or outrageous thoughts come in or scary thoughts come in, we just think we were to believe them, cage them, domesticate them and move away from them. But the nature of the mind, it's a wild place. And can we get really down for its wild and understand there's places inside of it that have caves to them and quiet forests to them and, and inlets to them. There's places in the mind that are inherently more quiet is very different than quieting the mind. So there's places in the wild that are inherently more secure, safe, and tame is such a better tactic than taming the wild, if that makes sense. Oh, I, I, um, I know I um, maybe should be practical now, but I just want to cry because I feel like when we talk about accessing that quietness that is already there, it's kind of the same as feeling, you know? Yes. And feeling for me is quieting the mind. Every time I start to cry or I feel something good or bad, it's like my mind starts to quiet down. And that was um, what's happening when you talked, that I was actually starting to feel. <laughs> Well, you said that so perfectly because that is the practical approach. So the, the moment where you felt an emotion come in or anybody that's listening, if they take one fully felt breath, while the mind is an amazing multitasker, the body is, it, it's impossible to have a pure feeling and an interpretation of that feeling at the same time. They might happen in a quick succession. But what you just said so intelligently is the word meditation is so confusing. It's, it's so loaded and it comes from so many different traditions that have different takes. But if we make the word meditation synonymous with feeling, synonymous with listening. So what you did so beautifully is when I was speaking, you were fully listening. You weren't deciding what you were going to say next. You weren't wondering how does that make you better or worse, smarter or dumber, superior. You weren't categorizing. You were just listening. And then it made you just feel. And those two things are really the exact same state as meditation, where it moves into just what's happening right now. And how can what's happening right now be felt and experienced rather than interpreted? and categorized or labeled. 
I like this. I don't like this. It's good. It's bad. When will it end? Will it, when will it not? And so what you just said so intuitively and intelligently is to move into a state of quieting the mind where the natural mind is quiet is to feel what's currently happening, feel the breath you're currently on or feel a sensation that's occurring in one of your senses. What are you seeing, smelling, touching, tasting? Not what you think of it, not how do you label it, not do you like it, but just it's happening. If you can touch it, there's a little tiny gap of space where the quiet inlet of the mind is right there. Well, sometimes it can help to connect with a person or a plant or a picture or song that is on that um, say level of openness because now you open me up and probably I wouldn't be that this open by myself right now because I would probably answer emails and fix stuff and be busy you know and get lots of things done but to in, in, interrupt that busyness it can be a trick you know to listen to your one of your meditations you know go for a run and look at the sun or do something that connects us that reminds us to feel again yeah well and I can sense just in the way you listen and respond how deep your personal practice of awareness is because what you touched on music nature sun you touched on three things that are so true to human, true to nature, true to earth that bring us back to something that is just so life-fulfilling. You know, you listen to a song that just touches a place of grief or ecstasy that is so alive and it just quiets the noise. Or you let yourself walk into the woods where the woods don't ask anything of you. They're not asking you to be smart or pretty or good. They just are. Or you go into the sun where it just is warmth. And we go into a conversation where it just is true that when you feel the breath you're currently on, the mind stops. And so what we do when we want to get into the, the, the tamer parts of the mind, it maybe tame is not the right word, maybe just like inherently still parts of the mind, is go to places that are naturally true. You know, they touch something in our hearts, like that song that got you through a breakup or like the beauty of nature or, you know, the bigness of the sun, moon and stars where it's naturally true. It's naturally life fulfilling. It means it gives more energy than it takes. The sun gives more energy. Nature gives more energy. And in that, the mind doesn't have to constantly be trying to control what's going to happen should I have done that? What do they think of me? What's going to happen next? Like the mind isn't constantly trying to control rehash plan because it's just in a place, even for a moment that is good and true and provisional. And so those things you touched on are exactly the ways to start to find those silent, still natural parts of our mind. What, what happens in these personal development yoga, meditation, spiritual realms is somehow over the years, we started to create this connotation with the word mind. So people will say like, oh, it's heart over mind, but it's so, it's such a bummer because the mind is a remarkable instrument that we have evolved over millions of years. And we get the 
true privilege of embodying and understanding and questioning. And so it's such a sad thing when we create this hierarchy of consciousness that the heart's better than the mind. It's, it's an instrument that very few of us have learned to use. And a piano tuned is better than a piano untuned. The music is prettier. The notes are clearer. It makes us feel things more strongly. It's the same with the mind. It's an instrument that just needs to be tuned through observation, through tapping into presence, and genuinely through questioning it. Questioning it in the way that, you know, when you were a kid and you thought you were in trouble, so your parents said like, where were you? And your instinct is to defend and lie. That's really true with the patterns of the mind too. When we question it, we want to question it, not out of like a scary judgmental authority figure, but genuinely, where were you? Tell me. So our defenses drop and the mind can start to really show you why it's thinking, what it's thinking, when it's thinking. And all of these qualities that we try to control, you know, we have to be grateful. We have to show gratitude say affirmations, you know, all these kind of, as you said, aggressive ideas that is spiritual, they kind of just enter in, in this conversation, you know, the, the feelings I get, I'm really, really, um, uh, I feel really grateful for my mind. And I'm so like, wow, I'm so sorry. I have been so hard on you, <laughs> you know, my mind. And that is, I didn't think I need to be grateful. It was just a feeling. So I guess it's very natural, these things, when we allow ourselves to feel again. And, and again, you're questioning it. So into, your responses are so intuitive because so there is a place where when it's dark, we have become so afraid of the dark, you know, both fitter, figuratively and literally that when it's dark, sometimes we need to go and actively turn on a light switch because we can't see our way through. We've spent too much time in the dark. We're isolating ourselves from people. It's getting a little scary. And sometimes we have to go and exercise the parts of our brain and nervous system that build healthy chemistry. So we have to soothe ourselves into grateful, 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 presence, 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 spirit, spirit, spirit. We have to really work for it. And I never underestimate the power of those. Aggressive is a great word, that aggressive building of virtue, because sometimes the mind has just gone too dark and the heart has gotten too closed and the lights have not been turned on for a while. And we'll call that self-soothing, you know, where somebody, if they feel really worthless, they'll say affirmations or get confirmation of, I am good enough. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. And that's like being in a dark room and turning on a light switch. But then there's times where we realize, oh, I can just go outside. I can just go to where it's naturally occurring, where gratitude naturally is, where worth naturally is. And where that place is always is in the present moment that we're in. But we're so um, afraid we've made mistakes in the past or terrified the future is not going to be there for us that we feel we have to rehash or plan, rehash or plan. And then we miss that when I'm just right here in this moment with you 
and my eyes can see through a screen across an ocean and my voice is just happening and the flowers are just growing and water is just there. When I see what's actually factually occurring, it's not a question of, am I good enough for this conversation? It's just happening. It's not a conversation of, are we grateful? It just happens. And so when we're not in the present, we need to fight for those states. And that's important because so few of us understand that the present is not a scary place. But when we can just get into it because we're captivated or it's warm or it's beautiful or it's miraculous, what you just said is, is, is so spot on. Those states, they just occur. And often I've, I feel like it's so close. You know, when it's dark, it seems like endless darkness. And many people, and including myself, had a rough year, a really rough year. And sometimes it's easy to just see that it is so dark and then we have we think we have to go to this huge retreat and we need a lot of therapy and we need to fix a lot of things before we can be happy again but you know you said just walk out it can sometimes be that simple it is so close it is so close that light that we must not forget that we can move out of the darkness quite easily. It is not suppressing. It is just to remind ourselves about the good stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, it it is as simple. I never want to underestimate, like it has been, yes, a hard 18 months, but to, to really be alive now, feeling available, vulnerable, wanting to know what's happening in the world at many different levels, it, there's an extraordinary darkness that for those listening or for you yourself or me, I find incredible courage for those that are willing to feel the broken heart and the grief of it and look at the darkness of it. But to your point, there can be a place where that chemistry of the brain and the nervous system and the hormonal system becomes stuck, addicted to only looking at what's wrong. And when that happens, the self starts to become very narrow. And all I can see is how it's not working out for me, how I'm not good enough for what I want, how I can't help anybody. It goes hopeless and helpless. And it starts to only see the small part of the self, like the child that was hopeless, you know, helpless. And so to your point, one of the simplest, most effective ways of crawling out of that addictive chemistry of getting into the present moment is to just look around, look up, look around. And and there's an, there's a powerful technique and this might sound so simple and obvious, but when we look at, and when we see the same thing, like, you know, when you're driving in your car and you get from point A to point B and you have no idea you're at point B and you're like, how did I just get here? Like there's so much subconscious muscle memory happening. And then when I say like, gosh, how often is what we're looking at, what we're seeing rarely, you know, I look at something and then I start to think or I interpret it. I like that flower. I don't like that tablecloth. I wonder what's looking and seeing are not the same thing. And so when I just look up and I look around, like, whoa, there's a horizon line, there's green, whoa, flower, bird, crow, crow flying, whoa, mountain, to just look around starts to pull us out of the self 
and into the place of this reality, isness, other. In a micro moment, you might not be able to sustain it for more than three seconds, but those three seconds can save somebody's life. Just look around, look around, look around. You know, I was talking to somebody recently who had cured himself from a very tricky autoimmune disease. And his daily practice was that look around, like, whoa, with childlike wonderment that's just letting reality touch you again. A tree is growing. Whoa, that reality for a micro moment sparks the dopamine and the oxytocin and the serotonin and the endorphins of, and we can never underestimate how vital those little micro moments of look around, get present, look around, get present. They do wonders for our brain body connection. That is also a very important part of the health and wellness aspect. You know, this, this way of healing, it is um, also kind of the food you know this is the food this is actually the primer food is this relationship with the presence because in my world and um, you know the alternative wellness world it's all about eating clean 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 fixing 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 diet diet intermittent fasting all these new trends and sometimes maybe that is the second you know maybe the real healing and the real cleaning cleansing of the body and healing uh, you know diseases and stuff maybe start with letting ourselves be and heal and let that you know you know oxytocin and all these happy hormones and healing chemistry happening naturally when we when we simply quiet the mind and become here and now yeah Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'd add in, I'd add in a step. So it's like, we get into the moment we're actually in to know that we're okay. And there we are intimate part of nature. And there's many things going on beyond what we can rationally understand. But why we see ourselves in a multi-billion dollar industry of health and wellness and self-development is because it's feeding off of this feeling that we're inherently broken. And so people go into their fasting and their cleaning and their food and their praying, but it's not coming from a fullness. I've worked in this field for 17 years with thousands and thousands of people and am myself this when it comes from an inherent deficit of there's something wrong, then what we do is we just try to dig ourselves out of a hole by digging more, getting into a present moment. Okayness, like. The self has nothing. I don't need to work on this worth when I'm a part of nature and I'm here. I only need to work on my worth when I'm worthless. I need to clean my body when it's filthy. And I never like the, the cleansing processes and cold showers and intermittent fasting and breathing practices and praying. They are such beautiful practices, but when they're trying to hide this shadow of self-hatred, self-worth, they're not hiding, they're creating more consumerism. And so we've got ourselves in an industry that became like all the other capitalistic industries. It's built on something that we think is broken, the self, the mind, the heart, the body. And so can we get here? And can we start to heal these parts of ourselves that are so convinced we're not good enough for love, not good enough for God, not good enough to be seen by each other? 
and not use intermittent fasting to do that. And then add on those, those beautiful, beautiful practices that I do not diminish, but I do believe to your intelligence, there's an order of significance that they must go in. Oh, this is so good. That's <laughs> no, a nice conversation. So, with this you. is so good. This is so relieving. I hope many people listen to this and remember this because um, I, I have to admit, I am so addicted to fixing and, and eating clean because I know how it feels, you know, that it's going into the mode of control and I'm actually controlling my way away from my own heart and love and what you said wildness because I am so wild I have extreme amount of creativity as we all us we do have that but I know it you know I really have it but it scares me it scares me how much I feel how much power I have how much I can do so it's for me controlling the food is a way of keeping my power down because I'm saying no and then I feel strong If I say no to pleasure, kind of, I get this strength and I kind of get this, aha, I made it and I feel strong in this world. But then my heart is kind of far, far away from me. Well, here's the simple test. So a lot of people come to their practices of, um, you know, movement and mind and sobriety and clean living they come to them because something wasn't working you know either the addiction hit the floor or the heart got broken or they just needed something and so these are beautiful practices but here's the test if when you aren't in control of your diet if when the mind is going dark if when you can't get out of bed if when you haven't eaten perfectly to form, if we've missed a practice, if when we're not met by the perfect self, the healed self, what then meets you there? And if you miss a clean meal, are you in three hours of self-shame, self-hatred and self-judgment, then that food is trying to hide from the deeper motivational force of trying to get out of shame. The food will never do it. It's like for those of you that have, you know, hated your body and lost the amount of weight you wanted to lose, but the hatred was still there. It was never about the weight. It was about the belief and the sense of self fueling it. And so the control of the food and the discipline and the empowerment of the self and not letting ourselves just do whatever we want is a beautiful thing. But check, when you're not, who meets you there? And if who meets you there is as loving and kind and desirable of good power of a force as who meets you when you're controlled, then good, keep going. But check. Because a lot of times we control to get away from this, this, this feeling, this pain, this belief of who we are. And then to your point, we miss the wild, the unkempt, the free, the creative, then who knows what's coming. I don't know what happened of the past. I don't know who the self is. Let me go check. But when we go to the shadow and I didn't eat that food right and I didn't do my practice and I know I am and I know I'm bad and I know I'm worthless, there's no wild there. There's a hurt child there. Wow. 
truly incredible how simple it is and so complicated mm. it is. <laughs> I think it's meant to be very simple. You know, it's like, I think of it like this, where when you're in a, a beautiful mountain glacial valley, you know, and you have that source mountain water that creates that beautiful glacier lake and that glacier lake then forms these rivers and tributaries and streams before it gets to the, the town and the township and the reservoir and then the irrigation. By the time you're way far away from the source of the water, it's still water, but it's filled with pollutants and chemicals and giardia and animal stuff and human stuff. It's still water, but it's more obfuscated, confused, complicated. So it's still water, but it's filled with stuff. And the farther the mind gets away from truth or presence, the farther the heart gets away from being able to just be vulnerably here, the more it's like that water that's like, there's just stuff to clean and purify. So I think it's inherently simple, but we complicate it because we have this incredible fac faculty, prefrontal cortex and a cerebellum and limbic brain and stored memory, ancestral trauma and collective energy. Like it's, it is complex, but can we make it more and more simple that we just purify the water, just purify the mind, keep taking it back to what's true, what's good, what's honest, what's present. Can I watch it? Can I question it? It's not that complicated. It's, I don't think it's meant to be that complicated. Thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you, Ali, for sharing this. I am really happy for this. I'm going to re-listen to it. It was um, practical, simple, and I'm also going to do the um, 40 days uh, course that I added the link in in the show note. So you can go there if you want to join it. This um, free course for you, a gift from Ali, which is uh, quite fantastic. And uh, if you like this episode, you can go to the Apple podcast and rate and review it. And you can catch the next episode on iTunes, on Spotify, or where you listen to, spot to um, uh, podcasts. Thank you so much and see you soon.